Thank you, Kaylee. I want to hear Kaylee preach. Anyone else? Yes. So happy Mother's Day. Today is an interesting topic. If you look at your bulletin there, prophetic encounter of 94, worldwide revival. What a Mother's Day topic, huh? So on the drive here this morning, I was thinking, what better gift for moms than the glory of God touching people and changing their lives and looking at what the Lord has in his heart for this hour right now. Would you agree? So we honor the moms today, biological moms and spiritual moms, as we look at this encounter. I just want to share up front that this is challenging for me to share. And you'll understand in a few minutes why. Today, what we're going to do, I'm going to share this encounter. And then next Sunday, I'm going to talk about so what? What do we do in light of this prophetic promise? And so we're going to look at practical things that we do to sustain faith in God, to endure, to root down deeply in God's truth. Typically, what we do on a Sunday morning is we take a passage of Scripture and we look at it, we explore it together, and we let the Word of God speak to us. And today we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to interweave Scripture, but we're going to use a different format. I also want to say this, beginning in June, the first Sunday in June, we're actually beginning a series on 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians in depth and look at what that letter has to say to us about establishing foundations as we are the people of God and people of the Holy Spirit. So today, why is this challenging for me to share? I want to say one reason is because I struggle to reconcile two parts of myself and two parts of my journey. One part is this prophetic side. I have, since I was 17 years old, I've had the Lord move in my life in ways that I can't explain. And then there's another side of me called the academic, the theological geek, the one who likes to think things through rationally and explain it and parse it out. And so this morning, by sharing this story, I think that it illustrates that to walk with God means your mind is fully engaged. God gives us a brain for a reason. The mind, the intellect, we never dilute it, we never turn it down, we actually heighten it. Use our brains, use our minds, but there's another dimension to walking with Jesus and it blows the mind. It transcends rational categories and thinking and analysis. If you look at the scriptures, the scriptures are full of this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he says the kingdom of God itself is not a matter of talk. Rational discourse, philosophizing, theologizing, but it is about a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so that's what we're keeping in mind this morning. Yes, we do want to discuss and have discourse, but we also are longing for a demonstration of the kingdom's power. If all we do is talk about it, we're missing out. So 
life with Jesus involves deep theological roots and vital personal experience. And we're going to see this all through our series on 1 Corinthians. That's what Paul says to the church. Root down deeply into Jesus, into his truth, and expect at the same time for Jesus to show up in your life and show you that it's more than words. If you think about it, the whole book of Acts is this. It's the only inspired record of church history that we have. You've read it, many of you, and it is a book of signs and wonders and miracles and angelic visitations and healings. All 28 chapters illustrate this. So the Christian faith is a supernatural faith. And this is one of our values here at Our Lord's, isn't it? We are people of spirit and truth. And for some reason in the church, oftentimes we like to say we're spirit people or we're truth people. And here at Our Lord's, we are striving to be people of spirit and truth. A second reason this is difficult is because, and and it's also a word for this moment here, is we're in a critical time right now. Jesus talked about, in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it doesn't take much to look around right now and see the weeds, to see the tares. A tear was a false wheat. And so Jesus is looking, and he's looking through human history, and he says to his followers, the kingdom of God is going to sprout up and grow like wheat preparing for harvest, and along with it, there will be weeds and tares. And so you can look around right now and see this kind of parallel growth. The kingdom of God is moving like never before. Jesus' agenda is expanding through the earth, and yet at the same time, there's jaw-dropping evil that's pervading culture. And so this word that I want to share with you says something. God always gets the the last word, the final word. We can get discouraged, right? I've already shared, I'm a media news hound. I love reading the news and all, and sometimes I have to detox from it. But the screaming message of this today is that God wins. The kingdom of God always prevails. The gospel always prevails, no matter how bleak and dark it looks. So I share this as a reminder on Mother's Day that God has the victory. God is not wringing his hands at all. He has something planned that certainly will happen. And it's kingdom expansion that's going to bring worldwide revival. What I want us to do, I'm going to put a slide up here. So I'm sharing why this is challenging, but I also want you to see in the scriptures that what I'm talking about today is nothing new. The scriptures are filled with promises of kingdom expansion and worldwide revival. So this experience that I'm going to open up and share with you only underscores something that the word of God has been saying to us for over 2,000 years. Let's look at that next slide. I'm going to read these, right? I'm going to give you three samples from the scriptures of kingdom expansion and worldwide revival. I know many of you were reading in Habakkuk this morning, 
right before you came to church. You've been spending the week in Habakkuk, one of the minor prophets. So listen to what Habakkuk says in chapter 2. But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So Habakkuk, this prophet, is saying that the earth is like an ocean bed created to be filled with God's glory. He promised it. Is that going to come to pass? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So worldwide glory. Look at the second one here. Psalm 22, 27 through 28 says this. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. So we've got worldwide worship there. The word of God promises it. What's it say there, church? All the ends of the earth. And the next line, all the families. There is something in the heart of God that we haven't fully seen yet. It's worldwide worship. We're going to see it. The book of Revelation talks about it. One day there will be people from every people group worshiping before God. Matthew 24, worldwide evangelism. Look at this. And this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So you see it there in the word of God. The Old Testament, the New Testament, it is promised. Glory, worship, and the gospel of the kingdom going to the far reaches of the earth. So I want you to keep that in mind this morning. A little bit of context here before I share, zip open my heart and share some of these things here. It was May 12, 1994, 25 years ago to the day. Makes me feel old. And I was with Steve Nicholson, my mentor from Chicago, and we were at a John Wimber church planting seminar in St. Louis. And some of you who lived through the 90s remember Randy Clark. The Lord used Randy in an instrumental way, and we were at Randy Clark's church there in St. Louis, and we had been busy all day in ministry and training. And Steve and I went back to the house where we were staying, some hosts there, some of the leaders in the church. And we went down this long staircase into a large basement turned into guest room. And we were talking about highlights through the day. It was a lot of fun. I was on a futon in one part of the room and about 10 feet from me was Steve in the more comfortable bed. I've forgiven him for that. And we were exhausted. Steve was ready to go to sleep, and he had a 6 a.m. meeting the next day with Wimber. He was going to have breakfast with him. And so here we are talking and just recounting the day, and the presence of God filled the room. And I told Steve something was afoot. And he later told me that inside he was saying, oh no, here we go, and I've got to get up so early. But he encouraged me. He actually said, open yourself up to the Lord. And we began to pray. And it passed midnight, and it became May 13th. And which, interestingly, is my father's birthday. 
And five years ago to the day, I had had my first encounter with the Lord that wrecked my life in a good way. And it was Jesus saying, I want you and I'm going to speak to you. And I'm calling for you to surrender your full self to me. And so it happened on the same day. I'm, not, I'm still not sure why that is, but five years ago to the day. So as this was happening, the presence of the Lord is there. The fear of the Lord fills the room. And I sensed not only the presence of God, but an angelic presence in the room. Some of you might say, what do you mean by that? Again, this is in the scriptures. If we look at the book of Acts, there were numerous times where the Lord would send an angel, someone was in prison, and they were aware of that. Angels appeared to Jesus and strengthened him at some of the critical moments in his life. And I stand before you today as a highly rational, theologically informed person. Angels still appear to people. And if you have trouble with that, like I have, get in the Word of God and see. The, the worldview that's presented here is more compelling than your worldview. It's more convincing than mine. I can't tell you how many times, church, that I've tried to scrub away these experiences, to rationalize them, to think them through. This was neurological. Maybe I need psychiatric help. And I don't make light of those things at all. But the Lord invades our lives at certain moments. This is the creator of the universe, and we're created to have communion with God. And so I think that I'm sharing this today to create space for God to be God. And woe to us if we think we can control that or sterilize it. Or, hey, God, would you, we want to honor you and, and worship you, but can you do it on our terms? None of the messy stuff. Please, no angels. Please, maybe Holy Spirit at a seven, a six, not a ten. Lord, I don't want to cry. Nonsense. So in sharing this with you, I invite you into that space to let God be God. So I'm laying there. Steve is on the other side of the room and an angel appears over me. What's it look like? Translucent fire. Semi-transparent fire. This angelic being reaches out and touches me on the chest. And I have an open vision. And each time this happens, I see this open vision and again, this is something that you see in the scriptures and throughout church history. When this happened, I felt I was going to die. It was absolutely terrifying. And I screamed. And I began to yell. And the poor host family where we were staying, I woke them up. The next morning, or in a, in a little while, they told me that they thought I fell down the stairs and broke my arm because I was yelling so loudly and it went on for two hours and I had these visions for two hours. There, there's a German scholar who talks about something called mysterium tremendum and it means tremendous mystery 
and he writes in this book about the holiness of God, and he says that something happens with biblical accounts, history, church history accounts of people encountering God, and on one hand, it's absolutely terrifying. It's rattling your bones on one hand, and then on the other hand, it's incredibly intimate and tender, the love of God washing over you, and that mysterium tremendum is precisely what was going on in that moment. Before I share some of these visions that were given here, I want to make an important pastoral note, okay? So if you have your Bible, look at Revelation 19.10, and I want to put a a verse up here, Revelation 19.10. How are we doing? Revelation 19.10. This is very interesting, okay? So I want you to think about this as I share some of the details of this. Listen to what the Apostle John says, the great apostle who happened to be one of Jesus' closest friends who reclined against him at the Last Supper. And listen to what happens with the Apostle John as he's encountering the revelation of who Jesus is and one of his angels. Revelation 19.10 says this, Then I, John, fell down at his feet to worship him. But he, the angel, said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your comrades who hold the testimony of Jesus. What does the angel say? Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So as I do this, and as I share it from an insecure place, some of these things, I have trepidation, friends, in sharing this stuff. But I'm also, I've told you in recent months, I'm going for it. And I'm inviting you to to go for it. Two things here. We worship God alone. And I have trepidation because I know in sharing some things like this, it opens the door for strangeness, for weird things for people to get fixated on angels and experiences. That is not what we're about. The scripture says here we worship God and God alone. Think about this though. For the apostle John, with all of his experience and his closeness to the Lord Jesus, what's he do? Shows some immaturity here. He's overwhelmed and he falls down to worship one of God's servants. Says get up, worship God alone. The second thing here that I think is pastoral advice in the midst of this is that every encounter with the Lord should testify to Jesus. It should strike us at the heart. This magnifies the Lord Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of all prophetic encounters. And these become key litmus tests for us. So I want to share some of the visions. Is that all right with you? some of the visions that reiterate some of the things we see in the scriptures. The first vision I saw was a giant tsunami that hit the west coast of the United States. And I actually heard the words, this move of God will be greater than the Jesus people movement. And I saw hundreds and hundreds of people being baptized in the ocean along the west coast young and old, predominantly young people. And there were teenagers, even middle schoolers, the age of my son Jake, doing baptisms because there weren't enough people. 
and there was open-air preaching on the beaches all along the West Coast. Massive revival among the culture there. Do you think the West Coast needs that? The Jesus People Movement, some of you lived through it. You could tell me about it. But it was essentially a move of God in the late 1960s into the early 70s. And millions came to Christ. I was reading some research by one scholar who said in the Southern Baptist Convention alone, 400,000 a year were coming into the Southern Baptist Church from this move of God. This is staggering. The Jesus People Movement, millions came to Christ. And these young people were calling the church back to its charismatic roots. Be people of the Holy Spirit. Rediscover the book of Acts. Fresh worship was erupting out of this move of God. People like Keith Green, worldwide missions. The Jesus People Movement was powerful. In this vision, I also saw the Hollywood sign. This was 25 years ago, again, there on Mount Lee, and I saw that Hollywood sign shaking, and one of the L's fell off and toppled down the mountain, and it became Hollywood. And I saw a cross plant on the top of Mount Lee there, above the Hollywood sign. And I began to see celebrities, musicians, others who lived in Los Angeles being touched by the power and presence of God. Mass conversion going on there. In my mind, I'm thinking at many points, Lord, can this be? <laughs> A second vision I saw, and again, I'm shouting this as it's happening. Another interesting note here. In these encounters that I've had, there's always some, at least someone else in the room every time. Why? I'm not sure. Maybe the testimony of two people, then I can't back out of it later and say, oh, I did this on my own. So I've got my mentor there, and I am narrating very loudly what I'm seeing. And Steve said that he is quaking in his bed and overcome with the fear of the Lord. But a second vision, I saw a map of the United States, and I saw the hand of the Lord begin to reach down and touch various states. And I would call them out. Florida, Oklahoma, Texas, Mississippi. I had great geographical knowledge that I wish I would have had in about seventh grade. <laughs> and there were details with, with many of these states, and one of them, I, I would hear crystal clear statements that were made. And one time I heard this, promise keepers is the first fruits of what is to come. Some of you know about this Promise Keepers movement. And then I began to see certain stadiums. I saw the stadium where the Indianapolis Colts play. And I saw it filled with people and miracles and healings, people coming out of stretchers, things like this happening. I saw the state of Illinois and I saw Chicago. And the city itself was trembling as the power of God visited the city. And some of the skyscrapers there the Hancock, the Sears, which is now the Willis Tower, they were shaking symbolically. And I heard the Lord say, 120,000 will come into the kingdom in one day. 120,000. I'm carrying these things in my heart. 
I'm inviting our prayers to expand our horizons a little bit. What if, church, the Spirit of God moved in Chicago and 120,000 people came to faith in one day? Can you imagine? Here we're struggling to share faith with maybe one person, and that's a good thing. But God has something else in his heart. And if you study the history of revival, this is the kind of thing that God does. I heard another statement. There will be a visitation greater than Azusa. And I began to see certain historical people. William J. Seymour, the famous nearly blind black preacher that God used for mighty revival to spread all through Southern California. And the Lord was saying, I'm going to do something greater than Azusa. And this was something that happened, the Azusa Street Revival, 1906 to 1915. It was a, basically a rebirth of Pentecostal Christianity. And it stirred the West Coast and it went worldwide. Then I began to see the map again and certain states. And I heard another phrase, there will not be a great awakening, but a greater awakening. Some of you know the Great Awakening. There were two of them, essentially. One from the 1730s through the 40s, and then another in the, 18, the 18th century, deep into the 19th century. And what was happening there in these Great Awakenings was a move against dry, arid Christianity, liberal intellectualism. And the Lord said, I'm going to pour out my spirit in these regions. And so great awakening happened, and the Lord's going to do it again. Now, some of you that follow different prophetic stories and, and figures, you may have heard this. This was 25 years ago. I was a 24-year-old when this was coming to me. I've been waiting to see some of these things happen, and that's why I'm sharing it today, because I think the Lord is on the move, and he's going to prepare us to see some of these greater moves of God. I began to see other continents. How are we doing? We okay? I began to see other continents so that this move of God moved beyond just the United States. Saw South America, Africa. The whole continent of Africa was on fire. Saw Mexico, India, Iraq. Saw Turkey, where I had been. And I heard something funny. The Lord said, I will roast turkey. <laughs> Saw the fire of God hit turkey. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't think the Lord would say that. Well, read uh, Jeremiah. The Lord uses puns all the time. And the Lord speaks to you that way. True? Where does sense of humor come from? The Father. Why can't he weave that into a prophetic message? He does it to Jeremiah and Ezekiel all the time. God offends the mind to reveal the heart. So if he wants to roast turkey with his presence and his power and his love, I'm not going to stand in the way of that. I saw the Lord's power visiting Europe. Saw things all over France, Italy, England. I saw something interesting. I saw the Lord visiting Cambridge University. 
the highbrow place of tweed and great wisdom and learning, and they were experiencing revival. In the vision, I actually saw a friend of mine in Cambridge as he was participating in what was going on. And that friend of mine actually ended up going to Cambridge University later. And so it was a very strange moment there. I actually shared with him this vision in 94, and it was 10 years later he ended up in Cambridge. He didn't see revival, but I think we will one day. Began to see other things happen all over Europe. I saw the power of God hitting Westminster Abbey in downtown London. There were kids coming in off the streets into this historic church. People being baptized, saved. I saw Ireland, heard all kinds of amazing things. I heard the Lord say that he would move again over the hills of Ireland, that he would revive the age-old missionary spirit for which it was once known. I saw Russia, Asia, Sweden, Germany, Australia, New Zealand. And then I want to end with this. Saw another vision. And when I say vision, I don't mean just an, an impression. It's like a movie theater screen projected in front of me here. Completely vivid. No manipulation in my, I'm, I'm watching it and I'm observing it. I think there's a difference between an open vision and an internal vision here. I saw Israel. And this is where the vision ended. I saw Jerusalem and I saw the Holy Spirit moving all over Jerusalem. And I saw synagogues and particular rabbis coming to faith in Jesus, which is happening now. Rabbis all over, conservative, orthodox, were being converted. And I saw young Jewish men and I saw the power of God hitting the Israeli army. And the Lord was saving people out of the Israeli army. They were coming to faith in Jesus. I saw the power of God coming on people in front of the Wailing Wall. And there was actually a long ministry team there where people were receiving prayer for healing. And there was news coverage covering what was happening at this ministry time. Then I saw the Dome of the Rock. Some of you may have been there before. Some of you may have seen it or read about it. It's the holy site for Jews, Christians, and Muslims where Abraham apparently prepared to offer his son, Isaac. And as I saw the power of God washing over Jerusalem, Muslims were streaming out of the Dome of the Rock and coming to the Wailing Wall and being hit by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was remarkable. As this was going on, and again, a couple hours of this, I, our urban ministry pastor was with us, and he was upstairs in a bedroom, and he told us after this happened that he had had his ear to the air conditioner vent on his knees for two hours listening to this, remembering. So afterwards, he and Steve and I were able to record this Steve and I began to laugh hysterically simultaneously as we were watching this mass move of God in Israel and have these Jewish people and Muslims come to faith in Jesus. We began to laugh hysterically at the same time. Not sure why, but I do know that in Scripture, 
great promises oftentimes engender laughter. If you think about the promises that were made to Abraham and Sarah, they laughed. They actually named their kid Laughter, Isaac. So I know some of you take this and embrace it and run with it and say amen. Some of you may struggle. How do we respond to something like this? And I already mentioned next Sunday, I'm going to talk about how we sustain faith. How do we hear? How do you read your Bible day after day, week after week, and sustain faith? This is full of promises. So even what the Lord was showing in that vision to me that's in his heart in a modern context, how do we sustain faith in that? That was 25 years ago. It's not for us to know the time when all that happens, but we labor and pray and share our faith. We participate in community with one another. So today, I want to invite you to pray with new fervor and zeal. That's the first thing. The second thing, church, immerse yourself in the word of God. Immerse yourself in scripture. If you have trouble hearing this today, read the book of Acts. Say, Lord, what is it in my heart? Why, why do I think that I can rationalize away the power and promises, the prophetic activity of God? Immerse yourself in the word of God. And then thirdly, church, I'm going to ask that you pray and ask the Lord to speak to you. God still speaks. God speaks supremely in the word of God. But God did not get laryngitis after he gave us this book. Amen? So everything we do is rooted here and filtered. And anything that's not in line with this book right here, throw it out. It's hamburger helper. It's trim the fat away. That's not the Lord. And we're, we're human vessels, so oftentimes hearing the Lord's voice, we need one another to help discern. But first and foremost, this is the criteria right here. The, the Word of God. This is the, the canon that measures all things. But we don't worship this, do we? Is our relationship with a book or a person? Our relationship is with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the book tells us that God still moves, that God has kingdom expansion and worldwide revival in his heart. So why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And before I have the ministry team come up, I want to ask the Lord's forgiveness in front of you. And I want to invite you to look into your heart. I want to ask the Lord forgiveness publicly today for trying to control him. For being embarrassed of something like what I shared this morning of saying, I don't want to share these things. It's part of my story. It's part of my history with God. And I've been embarrassed about it. Or I've thought, I want to be respectable. 
I want to be rational. I want to be theologically sound. And I repent before you today for that. I want to be a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, and I am willing to be foolish on his behalf. And if this leads to foolishness or misunderstanding or these kinds of things, I'm going on record that I'm willing to do that. His way is better. He knows better. His ways are higher. And I want to be a person of the cross and a person of the Holy Spirit. And if the Lord invites me into holy foolishness, then I'll follow. So church, will you forgive me for hiding this and being embarrassed at times? Will you extend forgiveness and mercy to me? I hope so. Well, I I want you to even close your eyes right now and think about where maybe you have sought to preserve respectability or being in control or trying to control the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to ask the Lord simply to forgive you for that. And he's full of forgiveness and he's rich in mercy. It's his kindness that shows us things like that. I'm going to thank you for letting me share this today. And I've asked Wallace actually to pray for us as our lead elder, Wallace. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we say that all that you have for us is good. As Brock talked about, Lord, you are wise beyond our ability to understand. The depths of your wisdom are unknowable. And we're so grateful that we can continue to go to your word day after day, year after year, and still mine new riches of wisdom and knowledge. But that you're also a God of power. And a God that we can't control. And a God that sometimes does things that we don't understand and are not what we would consider to be dignified. And so, Lord, we want to embrace all that you are. We want to take any boxes that we've built around you and what we've allowed you to do in our lives, and we want to break them right now in the name of Jesus. Boxes be broken down. Walls go down. And Jesus, we want to embrace all that you have to give us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Every gift that you have, we say yes. No matter what it looks like, no matter what the response is from 
in or outside the church, we welcome you and invite you and say, yes, come and do the work that you have prepared to do. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here as it is in heaven, whatever that looks like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.